Hello, Victoria, and thank you for tuning in to this, another episode of the Fifth Estate Podcast. Uh, This episode is a pre-recorded interview recorded last week with uh, John McBride, who is Damien Richardson's running mate. Uh, Damien Richardson, you may remember we had a bit of a chat in a previous episode. He's running as an independent Senate candidate for the state of Victoria. Now, this is a bit of a long episode. We do get into a lot of uh, in-depth discussion on things that are going on in Victoria, some of their policies and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so as I said, it's well worth listening to, uh, to, more just to get an idea of what the independent candidates are like that we uh, will, you know, who are all vying for our number one vote. So um, as I said, sit back, enjoy it uh, and let's get on with the show. On this episode of the Fifth Day State Podcast, we have uh, another special guest, and this one is John McBride. Uh, John, you will find out, is Damien Richardson's running mate. Now, that doesn't mean to say that they've both got the same views and everything like that. It's just uh, what I think they've done is the right thing to get them across the line. Um, so you vote above the bar, and that's a whole new discussion there. Uh, so a little bit of a background on John, though. He will go into uh, a, a bit more detail a bit later on. I'm brought up in a traditional Labor background, um, as you do when you're um, of a particular generation, and no offence if, if you think that's an age-related comment. Uh, it still relates similar to me as well uh, with that. Now, he's a former political advisor, um, became disillusioned with politics in off and on, though, like others, it has been the actions of the Andrews regime that has motivated him to run for a seat in the Senate. And welcome to the Fifth Estate Podcast, John. Well, thanks, Kim. Happy to be here, mate. Thank you. Um, now, anything else that you want to add to that before we get into the nitty-gritty of the of, of this podcast and, and try and stump you on those little questions that Elbow and the PM can't answer? <laughs> uh, no, no that's, that's enough background, I suppose, at the moment. I'm, I'm an interested party. Um, so, yeah, I'll just take questions, mate. Okay, too easy. Now, I thought... With that, as you've um, we discussed off air about your you know coming from a tr- traditional labour background with your family and everything like that, become disillusioned like most of us have. Um, you know, in your words, how would you describe the current state of politics? Um, and a little bit of a soapbox of mine is a common question about the two party preferred. Oh, okay. Look, uh, I think politics itself, especially uh, in the last twenty years. Um, being a Labor bloke, uh, coming from an, uh, a Labor background, uh, Irish Catholic working class, we saw our futures and our rights uh, and some of the injustices we faced, we saw them being resolved, hopefully, in the Labor movement, which is why the, you know, it's why the uh, the union movement um, and with the AWU actually formed the Labor Party uh, in Queensland. Um, which on my mother's side, my, my great-grandfather was the first Labor member for Mitchell in the six-day Labor government. He was the first Labor member uh, in the history of the Labor movement in Australia. Um, and uh, uh, so what's happened in the last 20 years, and I think it, 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 
I saw it happening under that last term of Keating at the federal level was that that um, they sort of took their eye off the ball and the movement itself, the labour movement itself, because it, it, it embraced the disenfranchised, it embraced the, the working folk, the, just the ordinary people, and we, and we tried to address uh, to address the injustices that were perceived. What happened is the, the sort of socialist left slowly started to take over um, with when uh, around their equality issues where, um, with the women's movement and uh, the gay agenda and uh, and all these sort of peripheral issues, and they they really lost sight of the common bloke, just the ordinary, ordinary, um, just the ordinary family, the ordinary man, the working bloke with a wife and a couple of kids who lived in the suburbs. And, um, we were just left behind, uh, um, and, and in some cases vilified by the same by the very same movement that we'd given our blood, sweat, and tears to. Uh, um, so and that, that's that's why I got disillusioned. That, that's what I saw happening, and especially in the last twenty years, you can see that with the transgender movement, with the um, some of the extreme stuff, where the collective has taken over uh, rather than the, the the rights of the individual. Um, yeah, that, anyway, that's my take on it. No, no, that, uh, that's that's fine. I mean, I, I think that touches on to um, the, the next bit, or I was going to ask it a bit later on, but I think I'll, I'll go on from there, is that um, what I noticed is that uh, they started following more of, um, let's say, shall we say, the, the, the globalist agenda uh, for, for particular things, um, you know, there's some things that the Labor Party did bring in which, you know, uh, fully support and, and all that sort of stuff. And though I, I think nowadays it's it's gone too far. It's trying to um, – and I'll, I'll even say to a, to a certain degree the Liberal Party as well because um, there's that, that common uh, comment that happens in US politics is that the Republicans are just the Democrats with a handbrake on – I think that the similar thing applies out here is that the Liberal Party is just the Labor Party going at the speed limit. Um, you know that what the Labor Party was is you know is going to do overnight. I think the Liberal Party might take a couple of days to do, um, and, and then bring in slowly. So it's still part of a globalist agenda, which um, you know I have huge problems with. Uh, I think that our politicians need to answer to us or. or be accountable to us, not um, some foreign, um, I want yeah, foreign organisation, non-governmental organisation that I can't even tell you where the headquarters are. Um, it's the thousand points of light, isn't it? Yes. And, I mean, everything that, that seems to happen is based on some UN treaty or something like that. So it, you know, it, it doesn't pay attention to the uniqueness of Australia with, um, you know, the, the things that are out here. Um, mm. What's your view on that? I mean, are you for it in limited degrees? Are you totally opposed to it? Or you think that, hey, you know, it's, it's like everything else, we can take a little bit out of it as long as it doesn't, you know, change the story too much or, or you know? Well, I, I think that's that. You go back in history and you look at the labour movement. The labour movement was about uh, righting the wrongs, getting some getting some fairness uh, into the system, you know, decent wages and conditions, 
um, uh, decent working hours, a, a pension for those that uh, that have worked their whole life. Um, about just fundamentally getting some getting some reasonable, um, I suppose what you'd call then the distribution of wealth, uh, which they couldn't get through other means, uh, and that's how they did it. And you know they pump money into um, sporting clubs uh, and uh, community based. Uh, so it was it was around the it was around what people already wanted to do. They wanted to have a footy oval, so um, and have a footy club and a cricket club and a, a, a basketball and netball and such. Uh, access to facilities, access to libraries, access to education, um, and that 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 was fundamentally. Those were those fundamental and. Uh, sort of social impediments that were in place that they had removed so that everyone had um, uh, a quality of opportunity. Everyone had an opportunity to do it. We know that uh, you can give 100 people the same opportunity and, and maybe only 80 are going to take it up, you know, and of the 80, maybe 20 are going to fail. Uh, so it's not about the outcomes. It's, it's about the, the opportunity itself. What we see now, where politics is now, so that was sort of a struggle between the ordinary folk and, and the system as it were was uh, built, which you know, served the interest of the, the ones in power. What we're seeing now, the way I see it now, I think there's been a, uh, uh, a, a paradigm shift um, back to uh, some of the, in, in a sense, the ancient, the old, old uh, um, issues, which is around... The individual, as the, as the sort of the, the, the smallest unit in society, and the rights of that individual, and then against what looks like the, uh, for, for, for one of a better description, the collective. Now, whether that's the global collective or the state or at the federal level or multinational companies or whatever, um, where the collective. Uh, wants to subsume the rights of the individual for the good of the collective, um, and the, the individual, of course, wants wants barriers to stop these people uh, from interfering in their life, uh, whether it's around the quality of the education for their kids, um, their right to work, their right to travel, uh, the right over their own medical um, autonomy. You know, as far as which doctor they choose to go to, and uh, and what medical procedures they choose to uh, to adopt, um, and and that's the tension now. And I think this is a paradigm shift, and you're seeing it in America, you're seeing it in Europe. You know, you you see it expressed in Europe in places like Hungary and Poland um, that are pushing back against the EU uh, and being punished by the EU by by passing laws that the the Polish people want. Um, and have voted for, but the, but uh, they're in contrast with the with the EU, uh, and the EU is pushing back, um, and that's so that that's that tension that I see now. That's where I see this paradigm shift, where all the old uh, the old sort of touchstones for for politics about equality and whatever, it's now about freedoms against for the individual against the collective. We, we, I suppose we're revisiting it. In a way, yeah, it's, and it's not not dissimilar to you know what uh, what took place for the Magna Carta. Yeah, and you know? I mean, for for me, um, you know, 
like I've always wanted the government to stay out of my life and, and let me do what I want to do, though it seems that over the last two years, especially in Victoria, that more people are waking up and saying, hey, hang on, no, you can't tell me who I can have over to my household. It's my house. If I want my family to come over, I'm going to see my family. If I want to be with my family when they have or, you know, family member when they have their last minutes, why can't I, you know, why can't I go? Why is the government saying, no, you can't spend that time with that person that, you know, is your family member and all that? So, yeah, I think it's it's been more the actions of the the regimes uh, that have woken people up to that. Now, um, with that, one thing that I... I did ask want to ask you, uh, yeah. as you said, coming from a tra- traditional Labor background and something that I never, ever thought I would see was a Labor Premier define which worker is essential and which one isn't, and then let alone having to provide papers uh, to, to go to work. Now, how does that strike you? Oh, it's abhorrent. It, it, it's, it's absolutely abhorrent and... and and again, it's one of the reasons that you know I don't vote Labor, haven't for years, is because of uh, is because of this. Essentially, they've they've hijacked a brand. People like Daniel Andrews and the Socialist Left have hijacked a brand, which was the Labor movement, and turned it into something that's got nothing nothing to do with the Labor movement anymore. You know, uh, where would you see a, a Labor premier um, restricting work and conditions? Uh, you know, he's usurped powers to himself that are just unbelievable, yeah. absolutely unbelievable, and and it um, it's an indicator that they're lying to us. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's 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 like you you you're on you're running under this brand which has got rusted on voters, um, uh, and uh, you're you're punting on that the fact that they're going to just keep voting for you. Um, more out of tradition and habit, uh, but you, but you're actually killing your brand while you're doing it. Uh, and I think it, you're right. The last two years have been a big wake up call for the body politic. You know, we, when when um, when in history have we ever seen anything like this? Anything like this? we just haven't. N- not even in the Second World War, when you when the government takes control of the entire economy and hands out ration cards and such. Such like they, they never went as far as these people have gone under emergency conditions, and, and, what, and, and, and to the point that there were only you, you can look at certain countries and or states or uh, jurisdictions or whatever around the world, and it's it's the ones run by the socialist left, the, the socialists, the Marxists, that had the most horrendous conditions imposed on their people, the lockdowns and the mandates and the curfews and the masking and the rest of it. And yet you had other states like South Dakota and America that refused to do any of that. And then when you look at the figures about the, the infection rates, the, they were as good as, um, if not better than, the states that had these draconian lockdowns. Yeah, and, and that's the thing that I've noticed. I mean, you have a look at, at here with um, uh, Ghana in the Northern Territory and McGowan in WA, it seems like... They're all trying to out mandate each other. So you know, obviously Andrews in Victoria and all that. They're trying to see who can be the most draconian. And it's yeah, I I, it, it, I I don't know whether it's trying to push the Overton window to get us prepared for something that's coming, 
um, or, mm. or to ratchet things up that tight that when they release it a little bit, oh, we think, you know, everything's back to utopia as it was. Um, and, I mean, yeah, it, it just, I don't know, man, it, it's just one of those things that I've given up trying to figure out the logic behind doing it um, and just all I can think of is that, as I said before, is that they're trying to prepare us for something that's coming. So when this does come, it might be a little bit, you know, um, less severe than what they've already imposed so we won't rebel against it as much. Uh, and yeah. and for me that that's, you know, obviously the, the coming Great Reset um, with, you know, the um, digital quote-unquote dollar uh, that the Reserve Bank is looking at, uh, the plan or talk of a social credit system and everything like that. And we've, we've seen it with ESG scores with... The, the big companies uh, in Australia. And, I mean, the Stock Exchange even reports on the ESG status of, um, you know, companies that are listed on the Stock Exchange. So it, it's that. And, okay, so you're running for the Senate. What do you think there can be done to stop that coming out at the national level? Well, uh, go back to um, – we go back to the, the, the attitudes of – or the powers that uh, states have taken on under emergency orders, and we see the application of those and the damage that those have done. And I think what needs to happen at a national level, a federal level, is that we need to have a, a review of that, a serious review of it. Um, the first thing is that these emergency powers are extraordinary powers. Um, and the difference, again, like I say, between somewhere like Australia and, um, and our uh, friends in America is under the American system, they got, their governments have overstepped and they're taking them to court. Under our system, it's, it's, it's they can get away with it because of um, the common good. So we, we need to have a, a realistic appraisal of just the, the, the in a sense, the cost-benefit of it, we we would we would we were told that we needed to to lock down to stop the spread. We were told mask work. We were we were told that you couldn't use certain therapeutics um, that they were dangerous. Um, we were told that uh, that all these things were being done for our common good, and yet it doesn't seem to be the case. We're now getting information coming out that there's adverse effects. Some adverse effects on the on the the um, the vaccines. They had to change the definition of a vaccine mm-hmm. to accommodate these things. We're now seeing these adverse effects from them. We were initially told that they'd stop, they'd act as a proper vaccine, which is give us immunity, which hasn't been the case. You can still catch it, you can still spread it. Um, then you've got reports coming out with, especially with kids. Um, so, uh, getting getting uh, myocarditis. Uh, oh, myocarditis. What a great word. Yeah. Uh, uh, so there's this disparity between what we were told and what we're actually seeing and witnessing. And then, of course, you had this obnoxious, absolutely abhorrent thing where the big tech companies in social in the social media were actually filtering information. They were banning some stuff. They were throwing people off the sites. They were labelling. Uh, they had interfered in the in in the social 
public square were where they were censoring the information we were getting. Uh, and then, of course, there was the sort of ad hominy attacks against the unvaxxed or people, you know, we were labelled conspiracy theorists and, and and plague carriers and all sorts of horrible things. And killing grandma uh, and... Uh, oh, yeah. that's when we didn't care about, you know, we'd do the right thing by our neighbour. And <laughs> Now, if you're unvaxxed, well, if you're unvaxxed, then you're 100% immune from the adverse effects. So you're yeah. safe there. Yep. Um, uh, and there's a real good chance that uh, your immunity, you've you've got it. COVID was two years ago. Any mm-hmm. flu goes through a system, it, it peters out. Every time you have a mutation, it means there's less information in it and it eventually dies out. Um, so uh, that needs to be exposed. We, we need to have an adult conversation about what happened because if you, if you look back, it, it's easy to say, well, was this orchestrated? Because it seems to have been orchestrated. Who who orchestrated it? And why did particular governments buy into it, like the Daniels Labor government? And why did other governments refuse it, like the uh, South Dakota and Florida in America? Yeah. Um, so I don't want to creep too far into conspiracy theories there, but the, the, the fact of the matter is we haven't been told the truth. Yeah, and I mean, even uh, with that, why does the science vary? Well, that's it. <laughs> why does the science vary? Just, I mean, even between the states in Australia, um, you know, Palaszczuk in Queensland has reduced the the jab mandates for everyone and everything like that. Yet, you know, um, Supreme Leader Andrews gets a sniffle the other day, so he couldn't make it to Warney's uh, memorial, and he then get yeah. yeah. So then, and then a couple of weeks later, he decides, "No, we've got to um, extend the pandemic declaration for another three months." Well. You know, Which he can do under those powers, yes. he can do with a drop of a hat. Now, what he doesn't have to do, and here's the thing that annoys me, and here's where uh, this guy is out of order, is the convention is that um, that any advice they relied upon, if they've relied upon that advice, the convention is that they table that advice when they make that decision, right, so that everyone can get to see what the advice was. Now, where is the advice in Victoria? It's all hidden. Mm. Can't see it. Now, that's not representative democracy. That's totalitarianism or, or a creep towards it. Yeah. Um, and why is it I just saw the other day that they're talking about passing legislation to give immunity to the chief health officer? Um, why would he need that? Yeah, I, I think that one relates more to iCook um, and uh, for other matters for that, I so I mean, yeah. Well, if you're immune, then then you can make any decision you want, and you get away with it. Yeah. If you're not immune, then that what that means is you can be held accountable for the decisions you make. So you better make the right decision, mm. or at least rely on information, um, which you can publish to say, "Well, this is the information I relied upon," and I did that in good faith. But uh, the, the moment the government starts to give immunity. To, to its servants, the people that are supposed to serve us, well, we're in it. That's that's a terrible road. Yeah, because then, yeah, as we've seen in the past, the the chief health officer can just be at the whim of the premier and pass anything that he wants because that's what the premier wants. And then, if he's got immunity, he can just keep going with that. And you know, there's there's uh, no one that's going to hold him to task, and he doesn't have to answer for it, regardless of of what the direction was. 
Yeah, which 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 raises a question about how politics has changed over over the decades. Um, I'm just trying. Was it Mick Young in the Paddington Bear? He was a minister. He didn't declare yes. his wife didn't yes. declare the Paddington Bear. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, as a minister, his wife didn't declare a bear, which he didn't pay duty on. He resigned. Yeah. Because under the old principle that the minister is responsible. Um, and that he has to uphold a certain set of standards. Mick, Mick Young, a great bloke, ex-shearer, brilliant fella, um, did the right thing and resigned. Now, do you see that happening in the, the Labor government in Victoria? No. 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 <laughs> they get IBAC reviews, they get police reviews, they tell the police to go, look, no, yep, we don't, no, we no don't comment. think you should do No comment. <laughs> they paid millions of dollars for the uh, lawyer's advice, which was... Um, uh, to the to the uh, coats, uh, yes, to the coats. Where it was it? Was a creeping assumption, and I don't remember. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but, but they want all the power and prestige of office without actually without actually living up to the standards in the office. You know of what we expect. It's supposed to be representative democracy, but you, but it's easier to see now watching the Labor government, it's easier to see what the socialists really think of representative democracy. They disagree with it. They think we should just be ruled by our peers and just quietly, that's them. And, okay, talking about representative democracy, now um, this is, you know, something that I think I I briefly touched on with with Damien, but I've ranted about it before, is that um, party politics I think um, has what has got us into the situation that we're in now because regardless of, of who you vote for, if you're voting for a member of the party of a party, their first allegiance is going to be the party. It's not going to mm-hmm. be to the you know five thousand, two thousand, or however many people that voted that person in. So their, their first allegiance is to the party. And as we've yes. seen with the Andrews regime, and you know I understand that you're running it at, at the federal level um, and all that sort of stuff, but it, it's something that we're both familiar with is that um, we saw it in the upper house when I'm not going to try and pronounce her name, but the one who crossed the floor, um, she got booted out of the Labor Party um, and all that because she didn't toe the party line. Now, hang on, these people are supposed to be representing us, yet if they're not going to do what we represent, are they actually representing us? And, you know, there's that. So that comes back into... Uh, what I wanted to ask you about and something that, that Damien touched on as well about draining the billabong. Um, how how can you do that? How, how can you change the system? Yeah. All right. Any system over time creeps towards corruption. It, it just does. I think C.S. Lewis said it best that no matter how fine the institution is that we construct for ourselves, over time the greedy and the selfish slowly take it over and, and um, uh, run it according to their sort of self-image, and eventually just corrupts itself. And that you, you, you've got to you've got to um, refresh the institution by basically sacking all the people or, or redefining the rules around the institution. Um, the solutions usually uh, proposed by folk is, well, we need an over we need a body overseeing this body. And then after time, that body gets corrupt. So you need another body overseeing that body that's overseeing that body and what have you. And it goes on. Uh, so the two-party preferred system, as you're right, once once they're in, it's party discipline. 
Um, and are they are they representing uh, their constituents, or are they representing the party platform, um, as it's as it's espoused by the cabinet? Uh, their argument that they come back with constantly is, look, look, look the way the system's set up is we, we get the majority of the votes in that electorate, say the lower house, um, or we don't get the majority, but under the preference system, we, we do. So we can claim a majority um, in, in that house, in that seat, uh, and they've given us what they call a full franchise. In other words, um, I've now got the power it's implied within the system is that every voter basically gives their full franchise to their uh, elected member and um, and they can exercise that full franchise. And they say, well, we do it because we've got the majority, so therefore uh, they all endorsed our platform, so therefore, you know, <coughs> uh, we're, just doing, we're just doing what we're allowed to do under the system. Um, you're right about that last in uh, in the upper house. She, there's a little bit more to the background of that. She she came in on the back of a lot of money from her particular culture. They sort of they, they donated a lot of money to the party, and she was given a spot on the ticket. And she she was initially part of the socialist left faction, um, and then dropped out of the faction. So she was always always in trouble. Hmm. It's always in trouble because what the socialists left, what the collective hates is if you're not part of the collective. Mm. Um, so she she was always she was always in trouble. And of course, uh, Andrews and Albo and the rest of them uh, were able to convince the national executive to take over the state executive, the Victorian branch, because to to stop uh, Adam Summerick. Yeah. Who'd become who become the? It was brilliant what Summerick did. He was unaligned factionally. He jumped out of the SDI, but he was able to uh, get his branches up uh, and get his votes at the national at the state convention. He had enough votes to participate in the factional wars, uh, and he was that he was getting that powerful that he was in a position to get rid of Andrews and a few of the other socialist left positions. That's why they. That's why the um, elbow and uh, Andrews got the national executives to step in, take away Sumrick's power. Mm. And, <laughs> so, and it's the thing: it, it, things always get exposed when you're no longer useful for the machine. And um, Sumrick was either getting too powerful, or he was no longer useful, or both. Um, and so, you know, the, the 60 Minutes expose happened, which you know led to his, um, I won't say downfall. Um, but you know, led to him being booted out of the party. Which, having a look at what they wanted, which is why they set the whole thing up. Yeah, the whole thing was a setup. Though, having a look at how he's behaved in the upper house, and if you read some of his tweets, I think that's the worst thing that they could have done because he's not too tied to anything, or he doesn't have to adhere to anything. You know, he's been booted out of the party. So, what's he got left to lose? Yeah, someone's got to make his mind up shortly. He's uh, right now. He's sitting on a seat, which is essentially a Labor seat. Uh, now, if he does, he recontest the next election, and if so, um, he'll have to form a political party around himself. Yeah, I think he's already said he's not running. Oh, he said that. Hasn't yeah, yeah I, I heard a couple of days ago he was umming and ahhing. Oh, okay. This he said. So, I think it was earlier on in the year. He said he wasn't going to run again, which you know I, I think is a as a bit of a disappointment, though. Hey, man, you know it, it's his life. He can do what he wants with it. Um, 
though I think that um, with with someone with the understanding of how the machine works, he could be a great asset to the to the upper house to the legislative council. Um, though it, that being said, he can probably cause more damage outside of parliament than he could in. Oh, not really. No, the way the way the you're right with the, the factions run Labor. Mm. Um, they have a thing called the Stability Pact where all the factions get together. Who are the factions? The factions are people who have delegates at the state conference, all right, so that they can vote for policy and um, they make decisions. Now, Labor has a thing called the Stability Pact, which is an agreement between all the factions and the head of those factions, the carve-up for the, who's going to be Premier, who's going to be Vice Premier, who's going to be Ministers, who's going to get seats, uh, you know, who, who's going to get pre-selection for seats, it, both state and federal level for the um, – it's all all divided up, even down to uh, heads of government departments where, you know, which shouldn't be. All appointments that a government can make uh, are handled by that uh, stability pact because um, it's a carve-up. Uh, once he's out of the system, in other words, he, once he's – if he's no longer a member of, um, of parliament, then, then that's one vote he hasn't got, but uh, – the way they've, uh, if he, if he, his only other power would be to run the branches, which they've all closed down because it's now under national. Well, the, sorry, the branches still operate, but they've stunk the boat. Um, uh, if you're out, if you're out of the, if you're out of the system, you're out of the game. I suppose is what the point I'm trying to make. Mm. Um, for him to stay and have any influence over Victorian policy, he's got to stay in the game. Mm. Um, so. You can throw you can throw hand grenades from the sidelines, but you know what? You're just one of many people throwing hand grenades from the sidelines. He's tried to get IBAC to do its job. Uh, he's tried to get the ombudsman to do his job. He's tried to get the police to do their job, um, and he's and he's met a lot of inertia. So, whilst whilst a lot of the things he says about how the socialist left operate are true, um, uh, to be a vehicle for change, you've got to be in the game. Mm. That's, that would be my point of view. Yeah, yeah. So whilst I, I love watching it from the sidelines, um, and, I, and I think he's a thorn in the side, and he's obviously got a couple of uh, he's got a couple of actions to go in there. Uh, uh, and I think all power to him. Uh, for him to leave would be, you know, I think he's got a book that he's about to publish or whatever. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, you leave, you're out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now. With that, you know, um, okay, hang on, I'll, I'll change what I was going to say. Now, yep. with the understanding of politics, so supposedly um, Western democracies um, have got the lowest level of political engagement for, for generations and all that sort of stuff. And yet yeah. we're seeing... Of yeah, we're, and we're seeing more and more, um, let's say, activists come out do you think that we the, the the level of understanding of politics or the the level of political education in Australia have we have we got enough understanding of it to be able to cast an actual a, a genuine valid vote rather than oh this is a labor or you know um, for example I live in the um, federal lower house electorate of Scullin oh, so you know sadly devout labor um, area. Um, so people say, oh, no, I don't want Scott Morrison as Premier. I'm going to vote for the Labor Party. Well, you 
no, the only people who can vote Scott Morrison out are the people who vote, who live in the electorate of Cook, which I think is his electorate. Yeah. Any Anyone else, you're just voting for the party. And yeah. so, you know, and, and this is the thing. Do you think we've got that much of an understanding of politics that we're not actually voting against someone? We're voting for our representative? Well, that's a good question. Um, uh, it's hard for me to, to tell you what the whole body politic thinks. No, no, I mean, <laughs> okay, just, just in, in your in your travels um, and, and all that sort of stuff, obviously outside your, your close group who... I would hope have a better understanding of politics, even if it's just through conversation with you. But you know, let's mm. say the average man on the street. Do you think that they have um, an understanding? And I'm not saying that it's all. So I'm, you know, I'm not going to, you know, get a soundbite that. Oh my God, that you've said. Oh, you know, the the average person, the average Australian is too stupid to to understand their vote. Not mm. not going down that path. It's more about political understanding, considering mm. how much the corrupt corporate press has. Um, Influenced or dumbed us down to our understanding of politics. Yeah, there's it it a few things there, isn't it? A couple of questions. How good's the propaganda yes. coming out of state subsidised, uh, state subsidised institutions like the ABC and the SBS and what have you? And then you've got the, you know, the, the sort of what do you call that? Mainstream news, Channel Nine, Channel Seven. I don't watch Channel Ten at all, so I don't know. Um, uh, I, I think there, and this gets back to the fourth estate, doesn't it? Mm. You know, the, the, fourth, the fourth estate's job was, and it was the reason they were given the position, um, was to keep the, the third estate, the body popular, the ordinary people, informed about the going on of the first two, about the aristocracy and, and, and the clergy. Um, that's their job. And that, you know, the Americans have got the... Uh, First Amendment around freedom of speech to ensure that they can keep, you know, keep doing their job. Uh, we technically have something similar, um, but what happens? What happens when you get a generation of journalists, and that's what we've got now, who are no longer, according to the old model of journalism, which was report the facts. You know, news, north, east, west, south. It was a, it was about reporting the facts, and. Um, you know, you had editorial and opinion pages for editorial and opinion. Uh, the rest of the paper you should have been able to rely on that was just a series of facts. So we've got activist journalists. So they're no longer journalists. They've, they've really become, they've really become, in my book at least, um, with this sort of sycophantic relationship between politics and, and, and journalism, they've become... Um, uh, purveyors of press releases. <laughs> they, mm. they simply they simply take the press release and run it. Uh, they don't they don't Peter Credlin, you, know, you can you can there's a handful of journalists out there that are still having a go at being journalists, trying to be um you know, like a good scientist trying to be unbiased. Um, and that's the problem and that's where we're we're getting uh, people just shaking their heads and, and walking away. Now from from mainstream news and, and and going over social media now, how many people in the body politic are still taking their, their core information from mainstream news? I'd say the majority still. Mm. Um, so therefore, are they well informed? I don't I don't think they are. Um, uh, I'm just trying to think of that old Mark Twain quote. 
about uh, if you don't read the paper, you're ignorant. If you do read the paper, you're badly informed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, look, and that's an issue, and that's where social media, I suppose, is, is moving into that space uh, and where there's, you know, demand for your podcast uh, um, and Damien's work and other people's work is that there's a counterpoint coming out. Um, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't yet have the gravitas. I, I suppose some places do, like Bright Art or... Um, Bannon's War Room or things like that. Some place uh, do, um, where people have faith in the in in the message that's coming across. They have a little bit more faith because some people are trying to actually put an unbiased view there. Uh, so, how informed? Well, see, the trouble with our system is it's all based on goodwill and convention, and when that goodwill is manipulated by by the smarties, by people like Labor. You know the spin masters, um, uh, where propaganda is 101 for all politicians. You know, it's about spinning a narrative, spinning a story. You know, get pushing buttons and trying to get a response. Um, so the system is based on goodwill and convention. Uh, and uh, how do you make a difference to that when the system itself is is has become so contrived? I heard that the that with just say the Liberals, you were talking about the Liberals doing it just a little bit later, um, following following in the wake of Labor. Um, and there's that uh, there's that New South Wales branch that says, you've got nowhere else to go. If you're conservative or, or, or um, what they suppose they call old-fashioned, if you, if you still hold on to old-fashioned values and you're conservative by nature, um, you're going. You've got nowhere else to go. You have to vote Liberal because you can't go to the Socialist Left. You can't go to Labor or the Greens. And and in their sort of contempt for us, in one way, they say so we can they can adopt net zero or, or what have you as a policy because you've got because they're, what they're saying is you guys will just have to hold your nose because you, you're still going to vote for us. Um, and I suppose that's the contempt. That the, the the machine itself has for um, the community as a whole. Uh, so we've got away from we've got away from uh, local members having to go and do town hall meetings and, and and what have you, and stay really in touch with the the, the pulse of their community. And we've done that for, for a few reasons. One is because over time. Um, People travel and move around. They don't live in the same suburb they used to live in. Um, they rely on... We're more autonomous and less community-minded than we have been. But the most community-based section of society always is and will remain to be families. Because mm. kids go to school, they go to the footy clubs, they go to what have you. <clears throat> so we've got a situation where the Smarties uh, take our goodwill and convention and manipulate it to their own use. Uh, the system itself, the fourth estate, the, the mass media that's supposed to be informing us isn't. It's just giving us propaganda on, on um, like I say, they're just putting their names to press releases, really, um, because they want to be able to still be in that media huddle. They want to be able to talk to that minister that, you know, they want they want access, and the price of access, of course, is is uh, you tell the story that we've designed for you. Mm. So you've got that problem, which, which leads to poor information, poor voters. Um, and 
uh, and again, uh, how, how do we how do we hold these folk to account? Well, if you've gained the system, we like Andrew says, we're talking about immunity for health officers, and he, and he won't won't table reports. Well, we've got to put something in place. We've got to be able to say to the system, we need to put something in place so that you are held accountable. Um, because you've defied the conventions that hold you accountable, like the Mick Youngs, who would who would quit, uh, who would resign over over a, the Paddington Doll or Paddington Bear incident. Um, that convention was in place, so you're not they're not doing it now. So I think there's a frustration in, in people say, well, how how do I vote to change the system? Because the system's designed to give me it's two party preferred. So what do I do? How do how do I get that third party up? How do I get the the change? How do I vote in the change element mm. to, to 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 politics? Because to make the changes, you need to be in the game. And you know, how how do I get those people in the game? Just to make one other point, and the funny thing about the fundamental difference between the collective, the socialists, the Marxists, is the they have. They have an attitude or a series of policies which all you have to do to belong to the collective is to adopt them, okay? And they'll change over time or they'll adjust them or whatever and you'll adopt them. Uh, now, if you fall out like, say, someone like A.K. Rowling's did around the transgender thing, she's gone from a, a, a lovely of the left to uh, being ostracised because she, she fell out of the... She stopped adopting all the policies, all right? She, only one of them. Just decided to have a go at one of them. Mm. You know, a bloke in a frock with a cock is not a is not a woman. Yeah, uh, which I thought was found pretty obvious to everyone. Um, uh, now with the right, so the, the collective you can form around the Greens, where they get this sort of average ten percent in the Labor, which is get you know it's got a lock locked in thirty five. Um, now you go to the other side of politics, where people have. Uh, uh, have adopted, you know, the sort of, like I say, the sort of traditional values or, or traditional understandings. You know, you know, a man's a man, a woman's a woman. Um, uh, now they they all get there through a, through sort of um, a personal journey in a sense. Um, so what got them there uh, may be different for each each one of them. Each path may have been a, a, a different. A different incident and set them off on that path, but they've all got there independently of each other, and then they try to collect together. And of course, um, they all have you know, you, you can have a whole lot of conservatives. You've got some people who talk about the um, you know, sovereign Australia, you've got other people who talk about um, another aspect of freedoms, uh, um, but they it's it's hard to they don't collect together as easily <laughs> as the left does, I suppose. So, so that's that's one of the dilemmas uh, that we have. There are a lot of people that support Damien around the freedom movement, but they've 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 all got different little different agendas as well. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, and and that's the trick. That's the the trick is to uh, I say it's a trick, but I said that's the difficulty in trying to form a cohesive group around some very simple ideas. Yeah, and I mean, talking about the, the, the trick and all that sort of stuff, and I think it's something that I raised with Damien, or, um, though not into the extent that I'm going to go into it with you, is the, the bit that's concerning with me is that there's people that have 
um, spent, you know, let's say the last two years um, pushing, you know, freedom uh, and everything like that and um, escape from the mandates uh, and all that sort of stuff. And then they've jumped into a political party and they're pushing some sort of, um, you know, if you're not going to vote for this party, vote for some other freedom-loving minor party. And mm. yet it, it's the thing, It, I, I think for that shows a complete lack of understanding of our political system when um, <coughs> if anyone is generally interested in freedom that they shouldn't be pushing a political party regardless of, of how good they are because of, um, a, as you said before with that, that quote, um, it doesn't matter, you know, about every organisation getting corrupted eventually. Um, and, you know, my view all along has been independent all the way um, because I, my, I believe that you've got better chance of influencing a genuine independent than you do of a, a member of an established political party more because the the genuine independent, I'm not talking about the teal independents that are popping up all over New South Wales and everything like that. I'm talking about, you know, a genuine independent, um, you know, yeah. obviously such as yourself and Damien, um, because you're, you, you don't have that, that background where it's going to be something, okay, you, you know, you're not bankrolled by some billionaire or you don't have the, the party funding your campaign. And oh, no. Quite happy to be bang robbed by a billionaire if you want oh. to tip it, that'll be okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think we all would be. But, it, it, you know, it's more apart from the, you know, oh, what was it? I'm Over the last couple of years I've been watching a lot of um, US television podcasts and, and things like that and one of the comments um, when Chad Prather was running for the primary, um, he turned around and said that if, if a person isn't your friend before you announce – if they're your friend afterwards, they're going to want something in return. And mm-hmm. yeah, the, 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 yeah, I mean, that's the nature of life, though, isn't it? Yeah. The quid pro quo. Yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, reciprocity, I'll do something for you, you do something for me, we're all getting along, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, you're open to that in the sense of, yeah, once you put yourself in the position of running, then, then you've got all these people racing around going, here's my agenda, here's my agenda. <laughs> so... Really? Great. Yeah. Okay. So now, talk, talking about that one, um, how many agendas have come across your desk? Oh, look, I, we've seen a. Yeah. I mean, and obviously, not not uh, asking for finer details of it or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. Look, we, we, we've uh, we uh, we're you become a magnet for that stuff, mm. um, and th- and that's okay because really, what people are saying is, you know, uh, I believe in this. This is what I, I I've looked at the world. I, I see a problem. This is my solution. I want you to run with it, you know. Um, and a lot of those things, you, uh, well, not so many at the moment, but uh, um, you, you can you can look at them and uh, and you've got to assess whether they're they're practical or what's the background to them. Or um, it's a, and that's a big ask. We haven't de- we haven't got a fully developed policy platform. Um, and there's a simple reason for that because it it'll take a hundred men ten years to put together mm. a fully. And I, I mentioned it to a liberal bloke I know, and he said, "Well, he said, well, we we still haven't got a fully developed policy platform." Um, I won't say uh, which uh, who that was, but uh, but the point being, it's a big ask. 
It's mm. huge ass. You, you, you can't tackle every issue. So what we've decided to do, we made a decision early on, was it was around the freedom movement. And it was, again, it's that tension between individual freedoms and the collective. And that's, the, that's as I see it, that's the political dynamic that's starting, that's emerged at the moment. Can, um, that, can that be achieved uh, at the federal level? Yes. Well, what better level to do it? The federal government uh, has the power. It's if there's, if there's legislation in conflict between federal and the state, the federal trumps. Um, though, though, my yeah, understanding of that is only if the Commonwealth has the authority to pass legislation. Well, sorry, I just assumed they had the authority to do it. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, fair point. Um, so, I mean, what else? I mean, the states have handed over um, industrial relations to the Commonwealth. They've handed over heavy vehicle licensing and registration to the Commonwealth. Um, so, obviously, the Commonwealth has, you know, the Fair Work Act, you know, w- was part of that thing. Um, but how do you expect the states or would you consider the states handing over, let's say, public health to be under the auspices of the Biosecurity Act? Well, look, I, my personal thing is, and I haven't discussed this with Darren. Yeah, um, yeah no, no. I mean, I, I you two are two different individuals and, and you know, this is just a, yeah, look, a conversation I, between I, me and my five listeners. Yeah, right. Well, I, I believe in the concept of subsidiarity, mm. um, which I got from the DLP. Uh, and that's a well-worked idea. Fundamentally, it says that any decisions made in the body politic or the, the hierarchy should be made at at the level closest to the individuals. So so really we should try we should always be looking to devolve power down. So to keep it at the local council level or whatever. Like we got a bit of a problem with the model that we've we've got, uh, the way it operates. Um, and it needs to be fixed in that regards. Power that the local councils have, um, the agendas that they're running. Uh, but that, that that's the basic is that is that it, it subsidiarity expects the decisions to be made at the level closest to those that it affects some of those things it's impossible you, you can't have a national defense and you've got to do that at a federal level uh, yeah well federal interstate roads yeah, I mean that's another thing too why should the state pay for a road that but why should New South Wales pay for roads that it just transits for people going from Victoria to Queensland. You know, it makes no sense to them. Um, so there's something that the federal government's got to take care of, uh, but otherwise it should be at the state level. So a, um, a decentralisation of power? Always. Subsidiarity always does that. It, it's against the collective in that sense, um, you know, where, the, where uh, you had this phenomena, especially under Gillard when she was Prime Minister, where... The, the the taxation powers were handed over to the the states handed those powers to the federals in the Second World War, um, and you've got the Australian Tax Office, so it collects all the income tax. Uh, now states don't want that back because uh, they don't want to be held responsible for raising and lowering income tax. They don't want the political fallout from that, so they're quite happy to leave that with the government. And the government slices that money up and hands it back to the states in the form of you know, had so much for hospitals, so much for education, et cetera, et cetera. But under Gillard, what happened was 
they started to put conditions on the funding. We'll give you this funding, but um, even though yeah, money's got to go to the states, you know, we'll give you this funding, but uh, you, you know, you must put this, you must put this paperwork in place, or the, you know, run it under these conditions, or whatever. So that's a problem, because really, at the end of the day, uh, federal government shouldn't be putting those sort of conditions on it, because the state responsibility. States run the hospitals, and the states run the uh, school system. Um, and that's the way it should be. I, I'd like local councils to do it and get rid of the states, to be honest. Um, but it's that's such a radical change that uh, yeah, it's that's that's yeah that's a that's a utopian change that's not really practical. Um, so so yeah, subsidiarity is the uh, there's another there's another one there. I just can't quite think of what it was then, but. Uh, or, uh, yes, it's a, it's a long-syllable word, Distri- distributedism, I think, mm. was, the, was the other one, which oh. is, again, about empowering empowering the individual rather than the um, collective. Okay. Now, I, I did mention um, just briefly about the uh, the Fair Work Act and um, states handing over power, et cetera, et cetera. It seems yep. that uh, one of the big things that the uh, Labor Party and the unions are pushing at the moment is the wage stagnation over the last couple of years and that, uh, you know, Albanese says he's got a plan to increase wages, secure work, et cetera, et cetera. Now, it doesn't matter what plan you put in place, um, it's up to the states to, to provide an environment where that plan can come to fruition. Um, yeah. Though... Going back to to the, the wages and conditions and everything like that, mm-hmm. what's your thoughts on that? Is that something that the you know wannabe prime minister should be turning around and saying because he's you know in a um, certain way trying to influence the market um, by trying to make comments on things that he doesn't have the the, the power to because obviously the, the the Fair Work Commission set up under the um, Rudd Gillard um, regime is supposed to be independent. They make their own decisions and everything like that. And I don't believe that Albanese is saying he's going to influence the commission. Um, mm. So it comes back to the state state of the economy now. With the government not being a let's say let's say a producer of anything, um, you know they just have um, oh, red tape. Well, yeah, yeah, and and vacancies um, to reduce um, unemployment levels. So, you know, is that something that we should be looking at, or is it just something that we should turn around and say, going back to what you were talking about of um, taking it back to the level that matters the most, should we be ripping up the Fair Work Act and letting the market decide the wages? Now, as a proviso or or an additional comment on that, having Mm. a look at the current labour situation that we've got at the moment and I've been hearing stories about uh, first-year apprentices, plumbing apprentices getting paid $35 an hour um, with a guarantee of, um, you know, 50 to 60 when they are qualified in four years down the track. Now, um, I don't know of any award that says a first-year apprentice is going to be paid 60 bucks an hour. Um, so mm. it's obviously the market setting that, but so shouldn't the market set the whole lot rather than have the minimum standard uh, imposed by the, the Fair Work Commission? Well, it's a very good question. Um, 
where do you start there? Uh, the market should be allowed. Well, go back another step. There's a couple of ideas about markets. One's laissez share, where you just let the market do everything. So the owners of production, um, you just give them, you just give them their heads, and we just under that under that theology, because it is a bit of a theology. Um, uh, the market will always um, come to the right decision. Now we know that's that's true in theory, uh, but unfortunately humans are involved in it, uh, and it will corrupt itself. <laughs> Which mm. is why we end up with robber barons, mm. uh, as they did in America. So we know that in oligarch, we know that. We've actually, weirdly enough, got a situation where Mark Zuckerberg and Twitter have got a phenomenal power. They basically become the robber barons in one sense to social media. We'll put that aside for a minute. The, the other one is that um, you had, the other end of that is, of course, the uh, communist socialist model of planned economies, where you know. We're a commission of our betters decide uh, what the prices are going to be and what's going to be produced and et cetera, et cetera, um, which isn't too far away from what uh, – it's not too far away from what the um, – these global reset, the, the globalist agenda is, mm. is quite. Um, and then, of course, then you get back to the practical matter. Experience and life tells us that uh, you've got to let the market uh, – uh, you've got to give the market certain amount of freedoms uh, so that the on, you, the entrepreneurs will make the decisions and they'll risk their money and uh, and they'll have a go um, and the market will keep developing so they'll, be, they'll invest in research and technology, et cetera. Um, and uh, then there's another part of it that says, well, you can't, you've got to regulate some of it, some of it, because uh, um, you, uh, you've got to have a, you, do you want a model like America where uh, you've got waitresses living on tips, um, you've got people working for Amazon that still that, that still get food stamps, uh, in other words, where you can exploit the bottom of the market, um, or do you want a model where there's at least there's a there's a there's at least a sort of a minimum wage? And uh, now the moment you start entering the market and forcing minimal uh, minimum wages and conditions and what have you, you're putting an impost on the market that the market's got to somehow pay for it in the long run or accommodate it, and it will have an effect. And I suppose the the uh, the skill set of, of real economists is to is to try and work out whether it's detrimental to the society as a whole, um, or there's some benefit in doing it that way. And that's the constant argument around economics. To what extent do, do you regulate the market? Because you will have an effect on the market the moment you regulate. The fact that somehow the market's kicking out $35 an hour to an apprentice seems ex- extraordinary to me. Um, uh, why, why is the market paying $60 an hour to a plumber? Because there's um, a mass labour shortage. Yeah, well, why is there a mass labour shortage? It's not because we've got immigration, so we've got constant supply of new workers. Um, uh, aren't we skilling them up? Uh, what's I, I, I'm, I'm posing the questions because I don't have the answers. No, 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 that's fine. I, I mean, I mean, and that can be looked at with a number of things. I mean, um, how much money are people being paid to stay at home? Um, and I'm not saying that you know we need to get rid of, rid of welfare all all 
uh, across the board and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, you know, I don't want anyone to be, oh, you know, he just wants everyone to be poor and destitute. So I'm not saying that. I'm, You know, I yeah. think it's questions that need to be asked. I mean, if the government's paying people enough to stay at home where they can't or they're not willing to take on those entry-level roles, and, I mean, we've got people leaving school every year, so the entry-level entry um, market for want of a better term, is there where there's um, potential workers that have no skills, so they pick mm. up the, the, those new jobs um, to get experience and then obviously move up the, the um, financial and um, theoretical food chain. Um, mm. So, but I mean, if people ca if they can't find first-year apprentices and they have to pay that much money to attract them, um, mm. you know, what's the thing? And, I mean, I, I know myself, I mean... Um, one of the, the many jobs that I've done in the past is as a truck driver and um, truck drivers now are, are getting paid phenomenal amounts of money where, you know, I'm thinking that I'm in the wrong industry. Um, so mm. with what truck drivers are getting paid, but and that's the thing that was traditionally a, um, a I won't say low-paid job, but more of a, a you know, a, an average-paid job where the money came in with doing the hours which made, um, which caused other problems as well. So, and I mean, if the market there is to, to pay truck drivers, you know, 50, 60 bucks an hour, then, you know, everything's moved by trucks. So then that cost gets pushed on to the, you know, the, the client of the trucking firm or whatever it is. And yeah, then that cost. eventually gets pushed on to the consumer. So, which in turn creates yeah. inflation, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's, it's a big vicious circle. Oh, it's, it's a complex system. It's yeah. absolutely, absolutely complex system. I too drove trucks in my in my time over the years, so I know where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, it, it's yeah, but uh, the, the thing with economics uh, is is it's like you say, you you've now got a situation where the government's um, involved in the market through the welfare system, so. Uh, does that de-incentivise people to participate because they say, well, hang on, I can go and do 40 hours and get, you know, get rotten money um, and I, or I can uh, not work uh, and, and jump through the hoops that uh, jump through the hoops to collect the dole or whatever um, and, uh, and they're sort of happy at that lifestyle level. Um, uh, so, yeah, we need to have a conversation around the effects of it. Um, I, I think the, the biggest danger that we've got, the, the, there's a crisis looming, and that crisis is around uh, around the entrepreneurs, the small business model that we've had, because we essentially have a small business model, um, mum and dad shops and such. Um, is that how much of them, how much capital was stripped out of that sector? By the lockdowns, mm. um, how, how many of those people now lack the conviction or, or don't have the confidence in the market, especially when you've got someone like Daniel Andrews there who now has uh, the power to shut down the whole economy again um, uh, at his whim, essentially. Doesn't have to show any paperwork, doesn't have to really give us a reason, just do it. Uh, that's un unprecedented in history. Uh so what sort of confidence have they got of getting in the market again? Will they go back and open up another shop or will they will they move across or uh, or has their money gone? 
if they if they just depleted their savings and, and sold their assets off just to keep that shop open or, or afloat? I don't I don't know, but I know those economic ramifications are coming, just like like the tides coming in on that, um, and we, and we're yet to see it. I and mean, I really haven't seen an exposition of it. Uh, uh, there's a lot of happy talk, uh, but th- that's that's a phenomenon that we're going to have to deal with, where we deal with it in this economic cycle. The next one, it's there. Yeah, um, I think so. That, sorry. Yeah, no. I was, I was just going to say this that um, I think that whilst that legislation is in play, and it doesn't matter whether it, it's um, Supreme Leader Andrews or it becomes Supreme Leader Guy, if he's um, fortunate enough to to get the numbers um, after November, while that legislation's in place. I think the um, entrepreneurial spirit in Victoria is going to be severely hamstrung because you'd need to base, you know, you can't just go and say, all right, I'll open up a coffee shop here because I'll have this foot traffic from the city. Well, no, you can't because what happens if the city goes down? Okay, so then you've got to find a uh, a food, um, like a food area, food service or a food business mm. in an area where there's going to be residential people. But then that only works in lockdown, whereas if the people are gone Monday to Friday at work, then you won't have the passing traffic. And there's, there's so many variables in it now that whilst there's the, I think, even the, the whiff that we could be locked down again, it's, it's something that, you know, I, I think people would have rocks in their head and I'm seeing it by the four lease and four sale signs popping up everywhere for starting. Mm. Now, on that as well, is that part of their plan to get rid of the mum and dad businesses and the small business to have the the big um, corporates there? So we're we're moving into modern day fascism where the um, these big businesses are becoming the enforcement arm of the state. We know that you know the small gyms were closed, yet Hungry Jacks and um, all the fast food restaurants were able to stay open when. You know, yeah, the franchises were different. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, yeah. you know, I think and the, the big box uh, uh, Bunnings. Yes. And, uh, yeah, they, yeah, and that's a legitimate question because that was one of the, uh, yeah, that's one of the sort of cognitive dissonance ideas in the sense of you look at it, and you go, well, how does this make sense? Why are you shutting the? You're not shutting Bunnings, but you're shutting the strip hardware store. Why? Mm. You know, it's like. So none of that stuff, mate. And yes, is there is there a creep? You look at America. Trump came in 2016, and the um, at that stage you had the uh, for the previous 20 odd years uh, you had America being stripped of its industry, um, and those jobs were moved to Mexico or Canada or China, uh, and it, it, uh, Trump stopped that. Um, he, th- he tore up the agreements and he put tariffs on things. He did all the things that uh, that um, you should do if you want to if you want to build your nation back up uh, as a manufacturing base. Um, but there be there had been and is still uh, an idea in place that um, countries like Canada and America and Australia and what have you would become service industry bases, and the manufacturing would be done in Asia. Um, or other countries, not us. Um, and what's that, what, what's that done to us? Well, it's stripped our economies down, isn't it? Mm. Um, so we don't have those jobs. Uh, Sid Crone doesn't, you know, is not there anymore. When I was a kid, 
West Heidelberg was the factories and presses. I lived in behind the town hall in Ivanhoe. So we had all these factory jobs. Um, we produced all this stuff and people were gainfully employed. Um, and that guy that worked at the factory had, earned enough money to go and uh, buy a house. It might be housing commission or whatever, but he was able to buy it. Um, and send his kids off to school um, and have a holiday uh, on that wage. And his wife would could work or didn't she didn't have to if she didn't want to. Uh, now that that's a thing of the past. You got two young kids together these days with good paying jobs, and, and they're looking at the price of their houses and they're going, "We can't even afford to buy a house. Never be able to afford to buy yeah. a house. Never get the deposit together." So that's wrong. So because at the end of the day, it's it's who does this economy serve? It, it should be serving the people. I mean, the, the whole idea is it should be serving us, but it's not. It's serving the multinationals, it's serving the big dollars, um, uh, the big companies, uh, the big bureaucracies. It's not serving the common man and woman, just the ordinary folk, uh, and, and that's a problem. And we know we know from Klaus Schwab and the Great Reset and what have you, we know what they're, we know what they're about. Mm. Um, uh, they're about usurping the individual freedoms, taking away sovereign boards, getting rid of this whole idea of representative democracy um, and just putting us to work for them uh, with the promise, of course, that uh, we'll own nothing and be happy, according <laughs> to Klaus. Yeah. Uh, which is a bold statement, I thought. Um, well, it had, didn't talk to me about that. I was discussed with me, never wrote me a letter, called me or anything. Um, but apparently I'm part of his plan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a surprise, surprise. I don't agree with it. Yeah, and then in line with that as well is that you know they've talked about the the digital currency, which when you have a look at it, it's not a digital currency; it's a digital voucher system where the government, your employer, or anyone else gets to decide where you can spend that voucher. It's not like you know digital currency where you know the way that it is now where you can, yeah, you've got $200 in the bank, you can spend that $200 anywhere. Um, if you don't want the banks to know where you, you've spent that money, you just pull it out in cash and then pay cash. It's not going to be like that with the, the digital programmable dollar. And, you know, it, it's the thing, maybe dabbling into quote-unquote conspiracy theory, but it's tied to ESG, um, the social credit system and, and everything like that. So I, I think that's um, going to be something that is getting pushed by other people that I, I don't think enough people are waking up yet. There is a bit of a groundswell to it. And, I mean, all that's going to, you know, upset, you know, the, the, the what was it, Howard's Aussie Battlers and, and all that sort of stuff, which um, going into that, my view is that it's all deliberately planned to destroy the family unit. Because, I mean, I remember way back when um, that it was the extended family that was the ideal family unit. Then it moved to the nuclear family. Now it's moved to potentially sole parents. And there's, you know, which is why Albanese is pushing the whole childcare thing because um, it's either single parents or parents that they both have to work. So then they have to go and get their children looked after by the state from essentially from birth. And, yeah, yeah, because the, the state's developed an economy where, for, for you to participate, just uh, you, you need both parents' wage earning, mm. which absolutely, 
absolutely ridiculous. I, I mean, you go back over history and you look at you know, this has happened. First World War set something in motion uh, around corporations and profiteering and such. The Second World War, um, uh, they they were able to sort of um, had women in the work, women in the factories because the blokes were outside working, but the factories had a technology level where they could train people. You know, it's, it's the Ford motor car. We don't need this school labourer to put the car together. We just need someone that could do this particular function in the production line. And so that we had, so we, uh, so you didn't get the artisans like you had in Italy with Ferrari or, or Germany, but around the BMWs and things like that, where the, you know the art, of the, the engineers were putting these things together. So, you, so what that meant was um, you could employ lots of people to do uh, little tasks uh, and give them more wage and such, but they. They, they developed a system. Initially, the, the grandparents came in to take care of the kids while the mother was at work, et cetera, et cetera. But as they've broken that down, yeah, you're in a situation now where everyone's got to work just to play the game, and then the government's got to set, come in and subsidise the family. Mm. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it is. It's a subsidy into the family because the, the family itself doesn't collect enough money or can't generate enough income to pay for the things that it needs to pay for. Um, and that's... That's the uh, yeah, what they are is a solution to a problem they've created. <laughs> yes, and I mean, and th- for for me, I mean, you know, one of the things that I continually feel like I'm banging my head against the wall is that you know, Albanese gets up and says he's going to make childcare more affordable. Well, why not? What are you going to do? Drop the wages? Well, no, they're going to subsidise it more, which means that they have to increase more taxes to pay for the subsidies, which in turn. If childcare gets subsidised, then that's going to push up the wages of the people in childcare, which will make childcare less profitable, which means there's going to have to be more subsidies, which creates yeah. that big circle. And I mean... Yeah, the merry-go-round. Yeah. We're on the merry-go-round. We're on the inflationary cycle. Yeah, I mean... But you, you, you can't keep dragging money out of the economy through taxation or levies, which means there's less disposable money in the economy for people to spend, um, uh, and then go, look, we're going to invest it over here because we think that's a good idea because we created that problem in the first place. I mean, it's a it's a form of madness. Mm. It's, a, it's it's economic madness. Get out of people's way. Stop taxing them. Um, stop taxing them on their income. Leave, just leave their income alone. Mm. Uh, the point isn't the point isn't the government doesn't have enough money. It, it's the government's doing too many things it should it shouldn't necessarily be doing. Not spending it wisely. Well, yes, Kerry Packer. Why should I give you the money? You know, you're not spending the money I give you that well. Yep. Why would I want to give you any more? Yeah. Uh, and that's the issue around governments, you know. Uh, but it's a political thing too. At the end of the day, it's it's the vote for me because I'm going to give you something. Mm. But you know what they forget to tell you, or they don't mention, and they don't want you to really think about, it, is I had to take it away from you in the first place to give it back to you. Mm. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> It's a two-card Monty. It is, it is. And, (laughs) you know, going back to the level of education um, or understanding, I won't say level of education, the level of understanding is that there's too many people influenced by social media and um, the negative um, connotation or negative descriptors that the corporate press put on people. So they're just going to believe... Um, you know, whatever it is. And, I mean, you, you know, using the US as an example, like, you know, you did mention Trump, 
um, it was more about, you know, this person good, orange man bad. And, I mean, yes. you know, or he put out mean tweets, so we've got to get rid of him. Well, you know, yeah, and look what they've ended up with. Um, anyway, that's that's a yeah. whole whole new thing. Um, being mindful of the time, I think I want to wrap it up now, but just one thing I did want to end on. Um, yep. did mention with Damien um, and you sort of talked about uh, the checks and balances uh, with the US system. Are you up yep. for, let's say, let's say we come to May or actually probably it might be later on in June by the time um, Senate votes and all that sort of stuff are counted. Yeah. You yep. to take up your seat on the 1st of July. Um, there's a bill comes across Parliament um, in, in July and it comes down to, um, you know, your two votes that you hold the balance of power. Um, yep. What would you be pushing for? Would you be pushing for a US-style Bill of Rights or would you push, be pushing for something else to get your vote across the line? Now, understanding that I know that a US-style Bill of Rights is going to be a constitutional amendment and it has to be a referendum, so I'm not talking about all of that sort of stuff. I'm just talking about, mm. hey, this is what we want. If you want our support, this is what you need to give us. Yeah, well, you're right. It takes a constitutional amendment at the federal level to get it through. But I, I think it's time that we put a Bill of Rights in place um, because it's the only way to hold these people accountable. It's to put a, it, it's to put a break on them, essentially, to say you, you can go this far and no further and that we need to have this, we need to have this fundamental idea that all people are born free uh, and, and the person best able to make a decision for that person is that person. You know, if they want to get it, get advice, they're free to do that. Not the government, not the collective. Um, and and that's radical. That's going to be radically important going forward if we're going to address the myriad of other issues that are out there with regards to you know the, the global resets and and uh, international treaties and uh, all the other measures that are in place to usurp our power and, and reduce us to serfdom because that's. Freedom's only been around for the last couple of hundred years in the form that we're experiencing it. So it's natu- the natural tendencies for all groups uh, is to go back to um, go back to control and power and reduce the population of serfdom. Uh, that's what they want to do. Yeah. Uh, they see that in their best interest. I don't believe it's in mine or my my children's best interest. So <laughs> that's what we're going to fight. So we need to we need to draw a line in the sand. And, uh, and reassert those things now while we still have the opportunity to do it. Um, so, because because uh, 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 if they can stop it, they will, um, I think. Is, is Having watched Daniel Andrews, that, that, uh, that guy's a nightmare. Mm. He's a nightmare for the future of my children. Okay. Um, so, so, I mean, I completely agree with that. And, um, yeah, I think the sooner he's out of power and... and um, held to genuine account, and I'm not talking about some sham trial or, or anything like that, but genuinely account for, for what he's done, um, the, the sooner it is. So going back to the US-style Bill of Rights, um, yeah. how would you approach the Second Amendment to the Constitution, like the US Constitution, understanding that... Yeah, yeah. No, look, I understand the question, and people have actually asked about that. Uh, it hadn't been on my radar. My understanding of the Second Amendment was it, a bit, it was about ensuring that the government couldn't stop militias from forming, that uh, that people had the right to form militia and they had, they had, a, right to, um, they had a right to their own firearms uh, at the time. 
Um, and that really was the safety valve that the founding fathers built into the American system, which was basically, and I think they, they came out and told them explicitly that they had the right that any time a government uh, from time to time turned into a tyrannical disposition, they had the right to um, to uh, pick up their arms and go and overthrow that government. Mm. Um, because they saw, I mean, they they they... They spent a lot of time in those conventions, from my reading and understanding, trying to get a model of, of democratic representation that wouldn't become as corrupt as it's become. Because they knew, they looked at history, they looked at the Greeks, they looked at the Romans, uh, and they set up a system because they knew corruption was there. And oddly enough, they believed in the state system and the rural states especially, because the, the corruption took place more in the urban centres than it did in the, in the rural centres, and that the rural centres, uh, because they were around farming and, and a bit of industry and what have you, were family-centric, that they would keep and hold and preserve the values that anybody politic needed to survive. Um, and you've seen what's happened in, in America with the corruption and the last election, and it's hard to not, it's hard to believe it wasn't stolen, mm. um, uh, and it's and it's naive to believe that we're not being manipulated at our level. Um, any dirty trick they can put in place. Have a look at the red shirts in America, in, America, in uh, Victoria. Yeah, yeah. Getting off the subject, but coming back to the Second Amendment. So that was fundamentally it to ensure that because the British had tried to take uh, the weapons out of the system to ensure that those weapons remained so that the people had a viable alternative to overthrow a despotic government. Now, as far as freedom, um, we had the Port Arthur massacre, of course. And then, uh, I mean, I, as a kid, I had a 22, semi-automatic 22 for, you know, shooting ro- shooting rabbits and a shotgun and uh, yeah, went to the police station had a you know, shooting licence or whatever. I, I think we've been a bit harsh, Um a bit harsh, but we're a completely different culture too, Australia. When the Americans got there, they had to fight the Indians. Um, then you had the French Wars, then you had the English Wars, then you had the Mexican Wars, then you had the Civil War. So they've been fighting wars, then they had the Range Wars. They've been fighting wars. So it's part of their culture, mm. really. Um, it really is part of the because they were. It was a dangerous place compared to Australia. Mm. We don't have wolves in Australia. I mean, we've got plenty of other diddly things like sharks and snakes and politicians. But um, uh, so we're, we're a different culture that way. I'd be inclined I'd be inclined to give that some thought um, about um, re- uh, relaxing some of the laws around it. Um, I quite like, I've been pistol shooting myself. I quite like the idea of, um, but again, it's, it's <sighs> the question is around regulation, isn't it? Mm. Um, do, do we want do would we as a society be better off if it, any muppet could just walk into a gun shop and buy a buy a handgun? I I can't believe it would be. Um, and and I mean I'm I'm not saying that either. So um, you know, but but then again, um, as soon as the government starts imposing laws on things, then those laws are going like the, the fit and proper person test in Victoria for for a weapons license. Um, mm. You know, Vicpol. Uh, can turn around and say, "Well, no, you're not," for no, for no other reason than, "No, we don't think you are," and then you have to get you have to go to VCAT to say, "Well, no, hang on, I am," and then you have to prove that you are rather than 
you know, Vic Pol turn around and prove that you aren't um, yeah. and all that. Yeah. And, you know, I'm... Uh, That's hard to be. Yeah. Hard I mean, it's, it's been said that there's, what, 260,000 um, black market firearms in Australia. Um, that that that's the conservative guess that um, CrimTrack and, and all these other national bodies have, have put it on. Um, yeah. As for, for licensed firearms, from my understanding um, a couple of years ago, it was at levels greater than it was pre-Port Arthur. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I don't think we should be scared of firearms in the community. I think that... Um, yeah. If we are going, which we should, you know, people should be able to, to decide what they want to own. If they want to own one, then, yeah, that's fine. Um, the government shouldn't be turning around and saying, well, for you to do that, you've got to jump through all these hoops. Um, I disagree with that personally uh, yes. and all that sort of stuff because it just makes it more onerous and then it's a restrictive, um, you know, for, for yeah. someone to, to do it. And the government should be, shouldn't be imposing those things and then, you know, adding to that is we found out a couple of months ago that there's been a 1,000 coppers and PSOs running around unlawfully for the last five years. So they've been illegally carrying a firearm and exercising the duties because they weren't properly sworn in. And yet... Didn't know that. Yeah. There, there, was, a, yeah, there, um, oh, there was a big rush through uh, legislation um, that happened oh, about two or three weeks ago, I think it was, um, that there were about a thousand PSOs, thousand uh, all up at about twelve or thirteen hundred police, um, protective services officers, and um, custodial officers were incorrectly sworn in by an assistant commissioner or something like that. So effectively, they weren't sworn officers, and yet Good. they're all running yeah. around carrying firearms. There were no mass shootings. They um, and all that sort of stuff. There's yeah. So, but I mean. It is. Well, I think there's two points here, isn't there? There's two points. One is uh, when legislation starts from the position that everyone's a muppet and that the government needs to regulate muppets. Mm. That's how the government sees it, mm. right? The other point of it is is that well, the correct and proper way is every, everyone's an individual in, in their own right. The law says that when you're 18, you're smart enough. Well, not smart enough, but you're mature enough to um, sign a contract, et cetera, et cetera. So we give rights and responsibilities to people that have come of age. It used to be 21, it's 18 now because of the basically because of the Vietnam War. If the government could send you off, conscript you to put your life at risk for the for the for the state, uh, send you over to Vietnam, but you came back, you couldn't vote and you couldn't drink. It seemed a bit silly. Mm. Um, so if you're, you're old enough to die for the place, you're old enough to have a drink on. Um, so we changed it to 18. Uh, but the point is, under law, at 18, you, you've, you, you're given certain um, rights and responsibilities as an adult. Now, we should respect that, uh, and we should come from the premise, the point of view, that each individual is, is a fully competent human being that's able to make their own decisions. Mm. Uh, and, if, and, if they, and if they want to, they can get advice or they, or they can follow their own counsel, but that's their decision. Um and with regards to that should be the point of view that all legislation takes, that they're a free individual exercising what they call the human agency. Um, now, the government gets involved because it says, well, these are dangerous, they're used in crimes, according to you know, guns, uh, they're used in crimes, they can you know, kill people and such. Well, you're right. Um, and axes are a bit the same. Yeah. Uh, so uh, 
but we, we rely on people's common sense not to just pick up an axe and go across to the neighbours and start hacking them up. Um, so there's got to be a certain amount of regulation. Like I say, you don't want any Muppet just walking into a gun store and, and buying a forty-five and uh, going home and shooting themselves or whatever. So you've got to have some. And the argument really is around how much. Um, and it has to come from the premise that every we believe everyone to be reasonable and acting acting in their own best interest, as an adult would, um, for now, far as, far as the government's concerned. I, I think it's just typical overreach from the government. Yeah, and I mean, like, um, have a look at gel blasters. They're legal in Queensland, illegal down here. Um, I think essentially everything's illegal in Victoria or unlawful to have. Um, and yet, you know, gel blasters fire out little um, gel beads. Yes, they may look like something that, that is dangerous, Though, yeah, um, yeah it, it's... Mm. Well, again, this is that tension between the, the, the Marxist socialists, the collectives, those that want to run a collective. In, in other words, they want to intrude. They want to, they want to be involved in every aspect of your life because somehow they've decided they're smarter than the average bloke. <laughs> and watching things like um, Married at First Sight, maybe that's where they're getting that opinion from, I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, there's some really dumb things that happen in society. And we've got some really stupid people in here. Yeah. And some of them are, some of them are in positions of power. Um, but again, it's it's that Andrew's arrogance of collecting power to himself to exercise it because he's the best bloke to do it for us, you know. Mm. Uh, which is a nonsense, an absolute nonsense. And history proves it's a nonsense. Mm. Uh, and we, if you want to move forward as a society, we've we've got to resist this, resist it. And, and 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 we've got to stand on our freedoms. We've got to we've got to have that fight now. We're going to have it's our Magna Carta in a sense. Yep, uh, absolutely. And I think that's the political movement that Damien's seen, I've seen, um, and uh, and many other people have seen. We're we we like you know, we we are uh, we'll be above. You can vote for us above the line for the upcoming federal. Um, we've had. to you know, that's a system that's rigged for the majors, the way they we vote now. Mm. Um, uh, and uh, I, I think this this thing's beyond me. It's beyond Damien. It's it. This paradigm shift is is taking place, and I don't think it can be stopped. I think it's only going to grow in time. Um, we're going to get more. I suppose the old it's red pilling. We're red pilling more people. A lot of people. I mean. The arrogance of people like Daniel Andrews is uh, uh, that, that that they consider us all Muppets, <laughs> just, mm. and and people just get offended by that, and um, and we are offended, uh, and rightly so. Um, they've gamed the system, uh, and we've got a we've got this this like I say, this thing this movement's bigger than us. It, there is it's there. It's a groundswell. It's coming from people. And I think more and more people are joining on to it. And it, it, we could, instead of whinging about the um, uh, two-party system, we could overturn it, I think, mm. in time, not today. Not today. It's like the, it's like the original Shearer strikes in Queensland, you know. Uh, those blokes went on strike, but what ended up happening years down the track is they, they formed their own political party. Which which became the Labor Party, which is the Labor Party. Then, of course, the the, the Marxists got hold of it and it turned into something just abhorrent. But uh, 
but that's where we're at. I think this movement's bigger, bigger than these individuals. I, I think it's there's uh, a red tide um, coming in. I say red tide. I suppose I'm looking at the American point of view. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, to all ask about their liberals or our labour, their red is yeah. our blue. So yeah. <laughs> their blues yeah. are red. So um, so yeah, yeah. So that's where I'm at. I, yeah. I, I think the if we keep it maintain a simple message, um, which is around you know protect the kids, keep the cash, tell us the truth, ensure on our freedoms, drain the billabong. You know if we could achieve those things, those five things. That would be a radical change to society, you know. Mm. Mm. Um, are you on social media? Uh, me personally, no. Yeah. no. So, I, uh, where are my five listeners supposed to find you? Uh, well, find Damien. He, okay. He's the best bloke. Damien, Damien's the sort of um, the front man for this. I'm, I'm simply on the paper uh, under the system that we have. We need a minimum of two people to become what they call an unendorsed group, and that way you get to vote for us above the line. Mm. If Damien was to go by just by himself, you'd have to vote below the line. Yeah, and it'd be ungrouped yeah. with all the others and, yeah. Yeah, just be one of, one of a myriad of independents that'll run. So uh, we thought we'd, we were better off, we had a better chance if we were above the line. Mm. Um, and under this system, you've got to vote at least, you know, you can vote for us first, naturally, and then you've got to uh, tick off five others. Uh, we don't know whether we'll be recommending anyone yet um, or we just leave that up to people. I think Top of Field had a good idea with around those freedom-friendly parties, um, but I, I'm just not sure yet who's nominated and who hasn't nominated. And uh, But I think that's a strategy that's worth at least looking at, exploring, mm. uh, seeing if it's a benefit for like-minded, for us and like-minded other parties. Mm. Um, We'll see, Cam. We'll have to see. Yeah, we will. <laughs> they've only just they've only just declared it, so I think we've got ten days for the nominations close. Yep. So we'll see what sort of um, see what the ground works then. Happy to come back after that, mate. If you if you want. Absolutely, I was just going to say that. Um, Damien has promised when he's a senator, he's going to come back on and tell us how bad the billabong That's really is. He's got to wait till he's senator, is he? Oh uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Um, but I'm yeah. happy to come on before that if you want. Okay, uh, well, let's embarrass him by saying, hey, man, you know, John's been on twice. Why aren't you coming back? Yeah, that's um, right. We'll, yeah, we'll do yeah. that. Um, still in his thunder. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, look, Damien's, Damien's a great spokesperson for the movement. He articulates it in a way I don't. Look, I can be a little bit more academic about some of these things. Damien, I think, has got his finger on the pulse. But he, and he's a, he's a true believer. He was out there. He was leading these – he was heading and fronting – uh, the freedom movement. Uh, he had that great work he did with uh, Michael over at the Cafe Lockdown. Mm. You know, the guy was already there. He was already fully committed uh, to doing something. So, you know, um, I think he's a great spokesperson for the for our version of the freedom movement. Anyway, mm. um, uh, and all power to him. Yep. Vote one, Damien Richardson, independent for the Senate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Thanks for, for, for joining us there, John, um, and good oh, luck no with worries. everything. And um, we'll have you back on. Um, we'll have to get your people to talk to my people and, and we'll see what we can do to set something up. No worries, mate. Right, Happy thank, to do it. Appreciate thank, the opportunity. Thank you very much, Ken. Thanks a lot, John. All right, mate.